Welcome to She Will Not Fall, a podcast and community dedicated to women who are daring to reimagine and redefine their faith, their gift, their call, and how they present them to the world. I'm your host, Marielle, and as always, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be in this sacred space with you. We are at the final episode of season two. I can't believe it's the final episode, but it has been an incredible season of unpacking liberation and talking to so many incredible guests. Today, we have another incredible guest, but before I dive into today's guest, I wanna remind you about a couple of things. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at She Will Not Fall Collective. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast financially, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash I am Marielty. If you'd like to give a one-time donation, check the show notes for how to do that. Today, I'm really excited because my final guest for season two is Camille Hernandez. Let me tell you a little bit about Camille. Camille is a theopoet, public educator, and abolitionist fusing her talents to help people develop practices to reduce harm and invite flourishing. She's the host of the Oh Holy Night Advent podcast miniseries and co-producer slash co-host of the Abolition as Resurrection podcast. You can find her on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as at hello Camille H. We had a great conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. And y'all, there were some cute moments with her family in the background that I refused to edit out because it was just really precious and it was adorable. And so you're going to hear those moments. It was just such an honest and a very real conversation. So I'm not going to delay it any further. Sit back, relax, and let's hear this week why Camille will not fall. All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of She Will Not Fall. It is season two. We are talking liberation. And I'm really excited because today I have my friend Camille here with me. Hey! And yes, listen, <laughs> I feel like most of the people that have been on the podcast, I've met them on Twitter. Yeah. Like, it's coming. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, <laughs> it has become like the greatest community. And like, how did I not know all these amazing people existed in the world? So it's been yeah. really awesome. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast for us to talk about liberation. Um, yeah. So this first question, everybody said it's the hardest, but it's just for us to get a little peek into your personality, who you are. So mm-hmm. my first question to you is if you had to describe yourself as a song title or a book title, what would it be and why? Can I, I'm like sitting here like, oh man, can it be a whole album? You could be an album. Yes. You could be yes. a whole album. Cause I feel like maybe it's just cause it's my life album, but the miseducation of Lauren Hill is like, if it could be just like the yes. miseducation of Camille Hernandez, <laughs> like, that would work. I love that. Oh my gosh. That is such a classic record. I it think is. It's. Mm, yes. yes. I feel like I've, I have grown. Like in every stage of my life, it's been relevant. And then I re- I learned recently that Lauren Hill created the album. Um, essentially, like it's her anti-racist 
journey. It's like her anti-racist autobiography. So it's her uprooting and unlearning all of these layers of misogyny and racism yes. in like in in these different capacities from like pregnancy to romantic relationship to professional her professional work. Yeah. And I think I learned that like three months ago, three months ago. And I was like, oh my gosh. That makes total sense though. It like does. <laughs> like that makes total sense to me. Right. And like me as a sixth grader vibing to like do all right. right? Like not even <laughs> understanding what like that thing meant. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that yes. mean? So that's You're right. Yeah I, yeah. I think in different areas of my life, like as I've gotten older, it takes on different meanings for me. Cause yeah. like from when we were kids in middle school to now we're like, no, F racism, F all the this. Yeah, like, seriously, <laughs> seriously. And I like grew up in PWIs. I was estranged from like the black side of my family for so long. So it's just really crazy that like this, it, it felt like that album like penetrated into who I am as this girl who was like raised in whiteness and like didn't know, didn't know that it was unhealthy for me. But Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill knew she, she knew. made this album. She knew. Oh yeah. And now, gosh. and now I'm like 33 and I'm like, if this ain't love, like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that. So I think that that's actually going to tie in very well to what we're talking about. So we're yeah. going to be talking about liberation. Um, <laughs> so we know that there are communal definitions of liberation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we also as individuals have what defines liberation for us. So I want to just ask you that personally, what does liberation mean to you? What do you need in order to feel liberated in the space? Mm, What do I need to feel liberated? That's a really good way of asking. Um, I think I need to be safe. That's, that's the main thing. Um, And there's a difference between comfort and safety. And I think so many spaces will do their best to make you feel comfortable. um, But that doesn't always equate to what it is means to be safe um and the the reason why I'm, I'm bringing those two up is it, it, I like learned this in a in a embodied social justice training where the um the one of the teachers um who is a she is a disabled black woman um she had said that the best way to think about it is like comfort is like pillows and blankets and ambiance. Right. And then safety is your personhood. Like you're the honoring and continual honoring of your embodied personhood. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, those are the things that's like, I need, I need to know that like my whole embodied self is safe in order to even like pursue liberation, um, or feel like I'm, I'm doing well in liberative community. Um, yeah. And I, that's, I just feel like that's the, the long and short of my answer, but I am still learning what that looks like. Cause I'm, I am like, I'm like a Leo. I'm like an Enneagram three. I'm every personality test that I have ever taken straight up says like, Camille is really charming and jumps into things like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like across the board, every Zodiac, yeah. every like personality test. That's what it says about me. So I like, like a hundred percent, I'm like willing to just like walk into a situation and then like let it, and then go through it. It crashes and burns. And that's when I learned my lesson. Like, oh, that's not good. But, um, I, in, in, in year, the, like the last two years have learned about boundaries and having boundaries, but also have people who I'm very deeply connected to model what that looks like mm-hmm. in, um, in collaboration, in working, um, 
in in being able to work with people who already know who like care for my heart and my whole my whole being as a as a human um they have taught me what that truly looks like because as we both know like not all all social justice spaces work (laughs) they're not they're not liberative (laughs) nope so being in relationship with people who are wiser than me um and who model like the emotional intelligence and the emotional health um but also the the like consistent dedication to maintaining relationship they have modeled what liberation looks like to me. And it, it, mm. it has redefined my understanding of what safety is. And now I'm, I feel like I'm able to be more discerning and say like, okay, this relationship is safe or like this space is not safe. Um, yeah. And, and, and be able to, to go from there and see what we create. Yeah. So I think recently I was in a session and they were like, what do you need in a community to feel safe? And I had to sit with that. I was like, I, wait, I don't <laughs> like right? what, what it's like. And you're right. Like, I think as you keep discovering yourself, sometimes you just don't know. And mm-hmm. then there are people who model it for you. And they're like, yes. and you're like, oh my gosh, that's it. This is, that's what I need right there in order mm-hmm. for me to feel some form of safety, because it's hard to even think about liberation if you are feel threatened or harm, like, like it's in a harmful situation. And yeah. So having that form of safety, and I think for me, it's been, can I trust these people mm-hmm. with my vulnerability? Because that's mm-hmm. like, that's yeah. like the most, and if I'm like hesitant, then, the, then I'm like, no, <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> this is that's like, a, it's a no, never, right? It's, like, it's like, that. Mm. I'm like mm, no, I don't know. About that. <laughs> um, you know, because I realized there were a lot of spaces that I was in, but I never was vulnerable, really, because mm-hmm. I realized I was like, I don't really trust you with my vulnerability like this. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. And so that's a key part for me. Like, can I give you something that you won't weaponize? And can I give you something that you will not use later to try to harm me? You know what uh, I'm saying? Like, yes. that's my vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a hundred percent. And I, I applaud you for having that and for, for being able to think about that beforehand. Because, like, Lord knows, sweet little Camille from 2019 did not think about that. Yeah. <laughs> and beforehand, where, yeah. um, yeah, the the parts of me that are like the wounded parts of me that I'm sharing in community with people, um, not everyone's gonna honor that. Or they'll take your story and then retell it from the lens that is not my own. Correct. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. This is why I can't have like gossipy people around me because like, I'm not, listen, if we're saying this is a safe space and then I can't trust you and you're going to go out there and tell my business. Like, Mm. no, that's not how this works. So I really try my best to be a safe place for folks and seek people who I think are safe places. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> can you that. tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Um, and then how liberation shows up in that. I know you you write, you're a poet, like you <laughs> are a brilliant writer. So Thank just you. tell us more about the work that you're doing and then the ways that liberation shows up in that. Yeah. So I, I am a writer. Um so I put it in 
three different categories. I am a theo poet, which means I write poetry um, that is more centered towards theology. Um, for those who are uncomfortable with the words theology, then I usually just say like, oh, I write about mythology and mental health <laughs> and like trying to find yeah. like using myth like common mythology that we know to talk about mental health and healing from trauma. Um, I, I think it's really fun. Yeah. And then I am a public educator. So I, and this a hundred percent is like, I had, I got a master's degree in education. I'm, this is how I'm going to use it. Right. I don't want to work in a school. So it's creating content that educates people um, in the public sphere. So a wider range, I don't have small classrooms. Um, there are learning communities that I collaborate in and co-create. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it is education centered. So for example, we're just wrapping up the abolition as resurrection podcast mini series that's for Lent and Easter. Um, and that whole 40 day period was, was centered on how do we show people that abolition is not just like getting rid of the police and ice, which is still essential to abolition, but that abolition is an everyday reality. Like how do we teach people that abolition seeps into, into the cracks of, of our everyday lives? Um, so that now that we're wrapping that one up, I'm, I am really proud of it. That's <laughs> why so I can't stop talking about it. But um, yeah, that's like one of the examples of public education that I do. A, a lot of it more recently has been in the podcast realm, because as you know, like podcasting is such an easy, accessible way to have deep conversations that we normally don't have access to. Right. Um, and then the last is that I'm an abolitionist. So abolitionist resurrection, of course, <laughs> fits into that. Um, but in the past, I worked specifically in, um, in trying to, I couldn't, I knew I couldn't stop on my own, but like, how do we slow down the school to prison pipeline in my area? So it was like mm -hmm. creating um, educational programs, um, whether it was in schools or in the nonprofit um, industry to um, center and empower and equip students of color to tell their stories um, mm -hmm. and to be alive in their own stories. Um, I do not do that work anymore. So I, I, I do a lot of like support behind the scenes, checking in. Um, but that's still, even though I'm not in the work, it's still who I am. Yeah. Um, and how the second question was, how does liberation fit into all of it? I, I feel like personally, I'm like, it, it's everywhere. Like it's the, it's the environment. It's the, um, atmosphere that I work out of. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a central goal at the end of the day. I don't, I I'm, very impatient and I often say like I just don't have time to play with anything else mm -hmm. right I I want to work towards this thing which is the kingdom of God yeah. and I wanted I, the only way that I can make it happen in my own life with the gifts and the talents that I have is to focus on what will liberate people to not only tell their stories but also find the healing in their story so much so that the story can shift um, which is a really hard thing to do. Like I'm what, 33 now. Um, and up until I was in my early thirties, um, my story was, was told in a very specific way. And now that I've done a lot of healing work and, and, and recognizing that I still have so much more healing to go through the, even the way that I tell my own story has shifted and that's yeah. liberative as well. Yeah. <sighs> 
So earlier I was having a conversation and we were talking about, and I asked him this question and I said, you know, how does liberation show up? And she said, through my curiosity. And oh. that, that just set with, like, it was like a light bulb went off in my head and I'm thinking, yeah. And I think that that ties into education Mm-hmm. But especially through um, theological lenses, because I think the thing that gets robbed from us, especially around theology and in faith spaces a lot and traditional church spaces, is the curiosity is taken from us. Yes, because 100%. we are not allowed to imagine. We're not. It's just like, OK, this is what is. Yeah. Go for it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. the the white man makes a video and starts it off by saying, I went to seminary and what I'm saying is doctrinally pure, like, right. And (laughs) that's like the, like the quickest way for me to disrespect you. (laughs) That is the, the sheer, like the free way to disrespect me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that, that liberation shows up in curiosity. It, It shows up in creativity. I think that the way that we are able to expand our thought and expand our creativity. Um, I honestly think that that is a movement of the Lord. Like that's, that's us getting closer yes. to who, to the identity of God is like the yes. more creative that we get and the more we expand. Um, I want to change my answer to that now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think education and public education, because mm-hmm. think about ways that we don't have access to certain things. So oh, we yeah. need people to educate us in certain ways because it gives us the freedom and the breathing room to mm-hmm. be curious, yeah. to like pursue after things that, or like I say, reimagine things that we never really considered before, or yeah. we didn't even have the space to really consider, yeah. or you were considered to be demonic if you question things. Right. Oh, so yeah. it's, I think that's what's so critical to me. And that's why I think education is a key part to liberation because, Mm -hmm. but the right education, because yeah, anyway, some people, (laughs) some people, mm, I know that there's like different perspectives and understanding. So this is like, as an educator, this is, this is what I operate off of. Right. So this is a statement that another friend had taught me and it is the definition of fair. Cause there's actually no set definition of it. And she, we, we have accepted this definition. And what we say is fair has what uh, fairness means. Everyone has what they need to succeed. Mm. So that means it's, it's, it's equitable, right? So um, I'll see people like, let's take, for example, like black alpha male content, which, you know, is like a pariah on the black culture. hundred <laughs> percent. But right. So that's like, I look at that as an educator and I don't look at it for very long. So I'm like, dude, I have to like take a shower after it's done so dirty, <laughs> but that's not education, right? Because it's not rooted in fairness. It's not equitable because black alpha male culture, alpha male culture is solely dependent on essentially like adding some seasoning to white supremacy and calling it a good dish. Like that is what that is. And with, with a sprinkle and a side of patriarchy all up in a hundred (laughs) percent, like the patriarchy bread rolls. Why do what, why would I want that? Like, 
it's a bad dish. I ain't gonna eat it. Like throw it away. <laughs> like, throw it away. <laughs> throw the whole throw the whole kitchen away. I don't cook this shit up. But <laughs> I I look at that as an educator, and I'm like, that's not liberative. That is not like that is not. You can teach someone something, but it's not education because education is meant to be liberative. And I think of I I think of education going back to like pre-colonial because there weren't classrooms, right? There weren't. Um, my kids are trying to get through the door. Hold on, <laughs> locking the door. So one second. Hi. Can you give it to Daddy? You see his little hand with the Cheetos? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. My husband's closer to him. No, no, no. It's always mommy. <laughs> but what was, I, what was my rant with that? Yeah, I, I go back to education being like pre-colonial. There were no classrooms because our understanding of like classroom education was built off the fact that in the Industrial Revolution of America, they needed more employees, but employees, they couldn't have employees because kids like were like child labor laws were created. So, oh no, we can't have kids work in our factories anymore. Right. Like it, the modern day education, what has been created of it with like the classroom system and schools and everything, a part of it was just so that capitalism can continue on. And right. And because this happened during the industrial revolution, specifically in the North, right. This is America trying to gain more money off the fact that it can use black bodies as capital. So it's like a whole mess, right? It's just, it's all that. It's all that. But pre-colonial education is relational. It is based in a lot of, in a lot of indigenous cultures, but not everyone, because I don't speak on behalf of everyone, but a lot of global indigenous cultures are matriarchal and these matriarchal cultures are need-based, not Mm power-based. So that type of education that I am, I sincerely try to root myself in is based off of giving people what they need in order to have success, but not success in, in the relation in relationship to like capitalism or like free market capitalism, which is what we live in, but success in regards to like knowing their personhood, accepting mm-hmm. and living fully in their personhood yeah. and being able to, to live and embody, like to live in that with pleasure in an embodied sense. Yes. Versus like, Ooh. you know, I I really can't think of anything else right now besides black alpha male content because yeah. I think I've just seen so much of it. Actually, no, let me let me use a different example. White feminism, right? White feminism raised in like bourgeoisie, not liberative of all because it's just made to um, perpetuate the harm done by patriarchy mm-hmm. by saying that women have power um, instead of saying that women are human beings, mm-hmm. which... I'm focusing on this as I'm also writing a whole chapter on it. (laughs) This is where my mind is right now, but right. That's not, that is not the same thing as liberal. That's not liberative education because it is so rooted in these systems of power and dominance and not in freedom, not in being able to, to know that, that there is a creativity in humanity, identity, and the expression of humanity. Um, and as opposed to like the ways that all of these systems and all of these cultures, be it black alpha male, be it white feminism, be it like MR Asians, which are like 
Asian men who love white women a lot more than they love us. Um, But all of these, all of these things in ways that are created to, um, to continue these systems of power and dominance. To me, that is not, that's a teaching, but that's not an education. There's no freedom in it. Yeah. So it's interesting. I really love that breakdown because that's helping me. Um, I don't know if you remember when I had, I had asked the question on Twitter, like, how is it that white voices are becoming dominant in the form of de- like talking about deconstruction? Yeah. And I really was grateful for the conversation that it produced because yes. it really shifted my perspective because I, and I, I think I did a TikTok about this maybe a couple of days ago or a week. I don't know. Time, whatever. Time, girl. <laughs> it's just like, my friends, time. Like, yes. It's like, weird. I don't know what it is. And so, um, one of the things that I brought up was that I really started to feel like deconstruction is becoming colonized um, around because before deconstruction was ever a word, like yeah, yeah. black brown folks were doing that. We have writers like throughout our history that were tell it was like ringing the alarms mm-hmm. of white supremacy showing up in theology and how we really needed liberative liberation um, from those forms of God. Yeah. Um, And I think for me, a lot of it has been where deconstruction now, because literally on TikTok, if you just type in deconstruction, like if that's what you want, all you're going to see pretty much are white folks, more specifically white women. Like that's going to be the, that's going to be who's talking to you. And a part of me feels like it focuses a lot on the harm, whereas liberation always lends itself to hope. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, it is really sitting with that and trying to think through, okay, so how are other ways that I've seen this show up? And so as Mm -hmm. you were talking, a big way I've seen that show up is through white evangelicalism, because Mm. there is this sense of assimilation. Like we need you to look like us walk like us, talk like us, sound like us, think like us. Because if you embrace your whole self, that is a threat to our dominance and that is a threat to our power. 100%. And and I have had to kind of wrestle with that. And also I've seen, because I always push back on people when I'm like, we're not just deconstructing from, or I'm not saying the word anymore. We're not just liberating ourselves. (laughs) We're not just liberating ourselves from white evangelical spaces that were like that. But I know for me personally, I've also been liberating myself from black and brown spaces that were just white supremacists, just black and brown folks. Yeah, diet colonial white patriarchy, right? Yes. The shitty soda. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the ways that I see it. And so when you're saying that education and fairness is when it is equitable, like Mm -hmm. we get what we need to be our whole selves, it kind of feels like that is the opposite of what a lot of mainstream Christianity and all of that really is, Mm -hmm. is that perspective. Yeah, I mean, Christianity will... Have you noticed, have you noticed that with like, let's talk about worship culture. Cause I know that you do worship, but like, first of all, I didn't watch the Hillsong documentary. Why would I, um, <laughs> I know they caused harm period. That's yeah. it. <laughs> right. Um, but like how often do our, um, do our worship songs use the word worthy? Right. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> my middle son is a mama's boy, 100%. I love that. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's like, mama's, do, mama's not in the same room. So it's fine. I love him. Anyway, like how often do we use the word worthy in worship? Yes. How often are we tying grace to transaction? Ooh. in in our worship like think of the lyrics think of the words right i i'm sick of it <laughs> the easiest way to say it the easiest way yes to say it but we take that context into what is like this deconstruction situation movement whatever and i i know that there are like I have, I've informed Dr. Shaniqua did inform me that black feminists have been writing about deconstruction um, from the get decades mm-hmm. before white people figured it out. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know that. Cause all I did was see white people in it. Um, but I have, I've learned as I'm watching what is happening in, in regards to like deconstruction in general is they haven't uprooted the fact that everything is based off transaction. Mm-hmm. In fact, they deepen the transaction. And I'll use this example. I didn't get permission to, so I go back, actually. <laughs> um, but I'll use this example um, of white women are really like, if anything, their talent is to diminish a social movement by making it a photo opportunity. That's it. Like that, like that. make it a tweet. That's it. That's right? it. That's it. That's, 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 that's it. That's it. That's it. And don't come at me because I because there are facts, right? Oh, we have video right. evidence. We okay. have video evidence. Yeah, don't, don't. But white women love to make shit into a photo opportunity. Pussy hats, naked women in Joshua Tree. Right. Like dressing up as if they were characters in what is that in The Handmaid's Tale, which that last one, I'm like, OK, like we're just going to keep on seeing it. I can't stop it from happening. Can we can we also add to that list? Like, I don't know if you remember, but like when all the protests were going on around George Floyd and people were doing like gown um, photo shoots in like the yeah. middle of the freak. What? Yeah. Influencer culture. Yes. Trying to get into actual social movements or like the, this one was the best. And by the best, I mean, literally the most useless was during the Portland riots that happened for weeks, like a a super long time. There was one white woman who would go to the front line of the protest completely naked and do yoga poses. And like, I remember every woman who was like, especially Christian woman, every woman who who was aligned with whiteness. So they weren't all white, but they were aligned with whiteness. They'd be like, this is such an incredible protest. Look at the way that she is using her body in the line of action. And I was like, no, no, this shit ain't it. This shit. I don't care if she's doing downward dog with no draws on in front of the police. This shit ain't it. Right. (laughs) It's not liberative. It's a photo opportunity. And there's, It it, it just like, and makes me so mad. And we're seeing it over and over again in the deconstruction space, right? It's the centering of themselves. Yeah, it's the centering, right? It's like, I have 
I often say I have a quota of white women. Like I, I'm very selective of who I invite into my life. I am very select because when you come into my life, you also get to know my family. My children will look up to you. Right. So I'm very selective of the white women who are in my life. And a hundred percent, the ones that I am in deep relationship with are all the ones who are like, they will literally say it is so embarrassing to be a white woman. (laughs) But in the deconstruction space, when you have these white women who center themselves, because to them, I don't know, like, I I don't even know, I don't even know where to go for there, but like, they center themselves, they center their experience. And then they center this idea that like, just because everyone has a vagina, we have the same experience. And to me, it's like, no, no, if you could like, Becky, if you could just stop, right? (laughs) Please, please. Because at the end of the day, it's like, it's very obvious to me that you're just trying to make coin, which I understand. But do you not realize that there's spiritual repercussions to the fact that your pursuit of coin is still continuing to hurt other people? Right. Is still continuing to be like, it's not only is it nonsense, but it's still violent. It's culturally violent to black indigenous and women of color when you center your voice. And a part of that is because white women give into this idea of transaction, their actions, their deconstruction, all of it. If you really listen to it, if you really look at what they're saying, it still goes back to being a good transaction, whether you're naked Mm -hmm. in a garden or whether you're saying um, that we that our our bodies are important and we have to listen to our bodies, that means two different things. Depend it means different things to different people. Me as a black and Asian woman listening to my body is very different yeah. than a white woman listening to her body. It's very different to a Latina woman like listening to her body. And yet we have these like twenty year old embodiment coaches who think that they they know their shit and are like leading people to freedom. They're not. No, <laughs> no, they're leading yeah. people to further objectify themselves and to prove that they're a good transaction instead of owning their humanity yeah. and that owning their, your humanity piece is so rooted in, in decolonized, like de- decolonized or even like post-colonial thought that can only come out of people of color, yeah. right? It can only come out of the global majority specifically through indigenous native and black cultures like (laughs) we are the ones that we're like literally trying to not only heal ourselves but heal our entire bloodline so like right like please karen from like the suburbs tell me how how you being in your body is gonna heal Mm -hmm. the fact that like i have generations of complex ptsd living inside of me yeah that's so good no right that part the other thing that I think that I'm seeing is, and I see a lot of white women doing it, is taking from the brilliance of Black and Brown and Indigenous folks. And because they have access to power, access to resources, access to certain things, making themselves the expert while they're taking away from work that these that Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks have done, Case in point, recently with the book, uh, yeah, that- Bad and bougie, bad yeah. and bougie. Because, g- girl, what? <laughs> I remember when I saw it. I know. Okay, so where I live, I live in Southern California, um, and she works at Azusa Pacific University. So that is like a 30-minute drive from my house, depending on the traffic. Um, 
And I didn't realize this. There's a lot of progressive Christian ministry leaders that are parents at my daughter's elementary school. So I like, I ranted about this on Twitter on day one. And then I went to pick up my daughter. And I had like my mom friends be like, Camille, I need to talk to you for a second. And I, I like didn't, I didn't connect the dots in my head. I was like, okay, yeah. And then they're like, I've worked with her. <laughs> like I worked with her. I know her person. I have her phone number. And I remember sitting there like, what do I do now? And every, like, every, like the, it was multiple moms. And every mom that has talked to me about it, who was in like my actual physical circle, they are all like, what is wrong with her? Like <laughs> it, there was this, this understanding for them that this was really like, this is God tier bad. Like this is top level, top shelf, Louis the 14th bad right? Yeah. Like this is just bad. Yeah. But what they had, what, what they had explained to me was that, um, that this woman has like a, she, the way that she was not taking accountability was very obvious because they were in relationship with her. And they mm-hmm. said like, she's just going to surround herself with more yes men. And she's going to say mm-hmm. that like, she's doing the right thing and that she's justified. Um, and, and that's, they're like, that's basically what she's doing right now is just surrounding herself with yes men. Yeah. And um, the reason why I'm talking of this, this specific situation, because it just happened, <laughs> but also like the ways in which I would love to just pop off on white women all day, every day there, but there are content creators who actually do that. And I don't want to make my money off that kind of rage, you know, but what we also have to realize is that it's not just one lone white woman. It's the fact that like she has she has decided that she needs a like an entourage of yes men to to continue letting her do these destructive things and call it deconstruction or call it healing. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, well, what are the institutions that support this toxic person? That part. Right. And how do we call out that institution? Because that institution is perpetuating harm through the actions of this one person. Yeah. Uh, And I, I, and and I say this specifically because like, we're in, in Western culture, we're so focused on individualism. And I really feel like if we're going to dismantle this whole thing, like dismantle the way that white supremacy is showing up in our evangelical spaces in our church spaces in our black church spaces. Cause I went to a black church that was very rooted in whiteness. Um, and even in like the movement of deconstruction, then let's follow where the coin comes from and call that out too. Yeah. That part. I know you didn't look at the documentary. <clears throat> I did only because she had a documentary. I had no clue. Yes. No, no, no. Like the Hillsong documentary. Oh, Hillsong. okay. Yeah. Okay. So I know you didn't look at it, but I like to look at things like that because it reinforces what I've been saying. And you just said it is we tend to, and not saying that we should not go after individuals that have caused harm. Mm-hmm. Yes, we should. However, yeah. the bigger question for me is we really need to talk about the systems that are created that allows for this type of harm to continue and perpetuate. Mm-hmm. Mm, and Hillsong was a very good example of that because my God, 
like the type of culture that was created, these people cannot do that on their own. So they mm. have to have systems and other folks around them that will support their incredibly shitty behavior mm. towards people. And that's where I want to focus on. Like, that's where I want to put my concentration on is, mm-hmm. okay, yes, we can go after the person, but I'm trying to knock this damn system down. A hundred percent. And that's and. Let me just celebrate you. (laughs) My Lord, like that. And that's like a hundred percent it, right? If we keep on chasing after these people who do individual harm or these, I'm sorry, let me rephrase it. If we keep on chasing after these individuals who do harm, then we're not looking at the fact that the harm is going to continue being perpetuated because these systems create these personalities, right? Exactly. Boost their ego, give them the money to do these things. Like there's like, I know that like, Rachel Hollis dragged herself through the mud, through the quicksand, straight to hell, right? She she did the dragging all, all on her own. But watch out for who becomes the next Rachel Hollis. Yep. Facts. Right? Watch out for who becomes the next one. And it's and sometimes it's going to be a white woman. Sometimes it's going to be a black woman who has like hardcore, what's her face? Whatever that Candace Owens. Yeah. Oh, has hardcore her energy, right? Oh, like. You don't know who it's going to be, but watch out for that one person who's going to rise up in the ranks, especially in like Christian feminism, because um, Christianity is all about like celebrity culture, which is a whole nother situation. Um, but watch who comes next. Just watch it. Yeah. It, that is what that is like the tried and true method, especially in the digital age of Christian Christianity, Christian influencing. Um, Christian publication, all of it, is they're looking for that one person to em- exemplify, not embody, but exemplify these cultures that perpetuate patriarchy, that perpetuate harm, that perpetuate massage noir and violence against so many identities, right? Transphobia, yes. homopho- homophobia, xenophobia, all of it. Yeah. They're they're gonna up they're gonna uplift that one person. And once that person goes down, it's gonna happen again and again and again and again. If we do not look at the systems and structures that it creates and create something different like I really think about it in terms of I don't know well I maybe this is because this is a it's recent so maybe this is just a good example to use yeah um it's like the Trump effect in my personal opinion so like Mm -hmm. I need you to represent this thing for me so we can do whatever we need to do. And once I'm done using you and you get attacked and all that stuff, great, cool. I can put the next person up because we just need people, like you're saying, to represent this. To yeah. So we can keep control. We can keep harming. We can keep doing whatever we need to do. So really, in, in honesty, the people who get exalted up, they're no, they aren't as honored by these systems at all. It's just a matter of, I need you out front so we can get this done. And then once I'm done with you, I can discard you and then I can bring the next person up. Cause it's really about protecting the system. It's never really about the person. Yeah. Never about the person It's about the system and who protecting who this is, who represents the system. That part. Yeah. And Ooh. it's, so I've been thinking a lot about like Jesus, <laughs> I should say <laughs> the short version of it. Um, but I've been, I think it's because today is Holy Saturday and um, I'm thinking about like the fact that like everyone had ex- had seen a very traumatic event and it was a crucifixion, right? The spectacle of death or the words that I'm using for it today. Um, and Holy Saturday is 
the day in which we talk about grief and how the disciples are grieving. But I keep on thinking about like the, the, the genius of Jesus. Um, and, and the pastor of the church that I attend, she says the abolitionist Christ is what she always says. Mm-hmm. Um, and how in abolition, there is a practice called pod mapping. So pod mapping is, it's not creating your own church, but it's creating your pod people. So the group of people that you go to when harm is done, who will trust your story and help you advocate for yourself and also help you pursue the resources that you need for your own healing journey. Um, so I keep on thinking of like who Jesus was. There was like no intention to be a celebrity figure in Jesus at least I don't, as I read the gospels, I don't think that was his intention. It happened, but I don't think that was his intention, but on Holy Saturday, what you're seeing in the, in, in like, in the stories of grief is that Jesus created a pod. Like he created, he pod mapped his people and his people were his disciples. And there wasn't a situation where a disciple was like, I'm going to be the next Jesus. And we're going to uphold this institution. Right. (laughs) It was they were trying their best to a believe themselves and believe that what they, who they followed was, is, and continues to be like the truth of their lives, but also to remain safe because they were being hunted for, right? Because there was so much danger and so much violence that was, that was pursuing them. Like the crucifixion didn't really end with Jesus. The crucifixion never ended never actually ended. Jesus said it is finished as in my, my body is dying and now I'm going to do the next step. But like, there's still, there's still so much violence that happens. So is it really finished? No, because we're all still facing violence. And I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm bringing this up today in regards to like, Jesus created these pod people and these pod people, yes, they appointed other disciples that they didn't appoint a headship or a representative versus like our modern day, Christianity context is institution-based. There's no community. It's very rooted in celebrity culture and following and very rooted in like signing NDAs. Like what, what the hell, but (laughs) signing, (laughs) signing NDAs and protecting the integrity of the institution. Mm. And they'll call the institution church because church isn't a, it's, it's like, it's not a trademark term. But over and over again, like the more I look at it, the more that I see it, the more I'm like, gosh, this is so dirty. It's so dirty because it, the cycle of harm perpetuates and it is so easy to be like the word in my mind is like straight flabbergasted. Like it's so easy to be shocked and appalled and disgusted when we see one person and the actions of that one celebrity figure and the harm that they've caused. But if we don't dismantle the whole system, it's going to perpetuate over and over and over again. Yes. That's why most people feel like there has to be a demolishing of what church is now and a reimagining of what it can be. And Mm -hmm. you have people that are doing that um, because I just don't literally to me, black and white and indigenous in some spaces, like just across the board, you're right. Celebrity culture has, is, that's the model. And it's like, why? But why? <laughs> it's like, yeah. because we're exalting one person. Like, but this one person reads the gospel so well and interprets it so great. No, no. no. 
Sarah Bessie, she has a Substack that I was recently reading. Sarah Bessie is a white woman that I absolutely love. Just saying that. Um, and in her Substack, she like said something along the lines of like theology is autobiography. Um, so like what we create in our theology is really rooted in like our own lived experiences or the lived experiences of others that we've learned about and we're contextualizing to create, um, a spiritual way of knowing life. And when I think of like, when I think of the people, especially the people where I live, which is a very conservative area of California, unfortunately. Um, and I think of who they exalt as their, their pastors and their ministry leaders, um, as the people who interpret scripture so well um, that they trust. When I think about it in the context of autobiography, I'm realizing like, oh, it's not that it's not that you care about like like the actual character of Christ. You're following this theology, this autobiography of this person who has a spiritual way of knowing life because they come from a place of privilege and you want that or you mm. want to maintain that in your life. So it's not a lot of people will say like, oh, that's not Christianity or like, that's not God or blah, 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 blah. Like all these arguments and debates over what Christianity is and isn't. And now I'm at this place where I'm like, well, I care more now about the identity of whoever's creating the theology. Right? I care about their identity. I care yes. about their story and yes. I care about their outlook because I'm, I am not ready and willing to have anyone influence my relationship with God by inserting their life into mine. My life is very unique, you know? (laughs) I'm not going to dirty my life experience with somebody else's raggedy life. Like, no, I I want to trust the lived experiences of people who who are pursuing liberation, people who are pursuing more. Ooh. That was so good. I had to sit with it. Like, it's like a breath. Like, because yes, yes to all of it. Yes to all of that. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So as you think about the future um, and the things that you want to work on and the things that you want to do, how do you see liberation showing up in that? Because I know you're already doing liberative work. Um but what are you saying for the what are you saying for the future? What are you saying ahead for you? Oh, it's a good question. What am I seeing ahead? I can't. <laughs> I'm trying to get to 2023. That <laughs> part. <laughs> year by year. Um so right now I'm writing my book, which I'm very, very, very I like, can't believe I actually have to say it out loud, but I'm writing my book and it's called The Hero and the Whore. And it is um the subtitle of it is What the Victims of Sexual Exploitation Can Teach Us About Healing and Liberation. So I am spending the next eight months um looking at 11 different stories of sexually exploited people in the Bible. Mm. Um and not, I'm not changing the words of the Bible, but I am telling their stories in the context of people who, people of color who have experienced intense trauma, whether it is through sexual violence, cultural violence, or physical violence. Um, and the hope is to... Um, Thanks, husband. Anyway. Bless you. 
<laughs> Bless you. That's all good. Um, and the hope of that is to reclaim the Bible. I, as hurt as I am, I cannot separate myself from Jesus. Right. As, as awful as my experience has been in multiple churches with multiple people, I still won't let go. And it seems a lot of the times I sit there and I sit, I, I write scared because I'm like, oh God, this is, no one's going to like this. This is not going to, like, people are going to hate me. They're going to argue against me. Oh my gosh, it's going to be bad. But for me, it is, it is so healing to be able to look at a story and say, fuck you to everyone who ever taught me that everyone who ever taught me that I had to listen to the story a certain way. And then I had to be obedient to a certain type of culture um, and be uniformed and assimilated to it. It is so good to read a story. Like right now I'm retelling this. I'm looking at the story of Eve and finding what wisdom for healing and liberation we're going to, we're going to pursue. It's so beautiful to be able to hold these stories and say, we can look at this differently. Yes. And not only can we look at this differently, but we can look at this and also expose all the harm that has been caused generationally by the systems that had misinterpreted it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's so what, good. thank you. So that's <laughs> what I'm working on. Really hoping it, it, it turns out great. Oh, you know? it will. It will. <laughs> thank you. It's going to be great. Writing scared all the time. Yes. Um, but it, in fall of 2023, it, it will be published and released and when I say I write about mythology and mental health this is I want to continue making these works that that are spiritually liberating but also see humanity in people yeah and sees and he like not only sees humanity in people but specifically for black and Asian women because that's me. That's that's who I am. Black yeah. and Southeast Asian women. <laughs> let me go back. <laughs> let me let me backtrack a little bit there. But like, I want to continue not only creating works that that validates and humanizes us, mm-hmm. but I want to. I whatever whatever space I'm in, I open the door, and it's not one of those like people will be like, oh, make sure that you like leave the door open to crack so someone can push through. No, the door is hella wide open. Yeah. Wide open doors right yes so i'm very like i'm very encouraging i keep my eye out for people that i i i see who are just like me who who want to tell their stories who want to get paid who want to get published who want to do these things and i want to give them opportunity because i have been given opportunity when i didn't think i would be getting it so i guess that is to say that like i am trying my best to create new spaces in the world of Christian writing. That's um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really happy. I'm really happy you talked about that because um, that will probably be next season for She Will Not Fall is <laughs> I'm really thinking about calling it unmute because I want to unmute the voices of those stories that we either got a skewed perspective of mm-hmm. um, and letting their stories be told through imagination and what possibly could have happened. Usually my number one person I go to is Beth Sheba because 
there's so much trauma in in that story and I was telling some friends I was like one of the things that I struggle with when I approach scriptures is it was written in the context for violators to be redeemed and we Mm -hmm. never hear about their victims the victims what happens right like what happens to that? And I really want to focus in on that, especially with women in scripture, because that is so critical. So I can't wait to get my hands on your book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I cannot wait because that has been really just on me um, mm-hmm. because you're right. We're told to see things through certain lenses and you, you kind of get out of that and you're like, oh my gosh, the there's so much trauma and harm, but there's also beauty in this that Mm -hmm. I was robbed of from seeing because I only had to see, you wanted me to see it just through this lens. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I, one day I like, um, you know, when you like text rant, (laughs) like text ranted (laughs) my mentor. Um, and it was the day that someone recontextualized the story of Bathsheba for me. And I was like, holy shit. So I text ranted her and I was like, what the hell's wrong with the Bible? Like, blah, 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 this is awful. Blah, blah. I can't believe it. And and in that text is when it is how I came up with the title. Like as I was text ranting Ooh. her, I was like, it's just riddled with hero and horror stories. Like, what is this? And she like, she very lovingly laughed because I finally got it. And then, and then she said something that has changed my entire context of understanding the Bible, where she said, a lot of people think that the Bible's a series of victories, but it's actually just a bunch of cautionary tales. Ooh. Right. <laughs> so since then I've been like, oh, okay. Like David and Bathsheba, what happens when you glorify a sexual predator? Well, hella dysfunction in his family. <laughs> right. Like, And it continued. Like? And, and it, it continues generationally. Yes. Right. So that's my piece that I give you. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is so brilliant to me. Um, so you're telling us, you already told us what you're working on. So we are really excited about this book, 2023. Um, how can people follow you, support you, um, so into you, like all of those things? How can they do that? Um, so if you can follow my social medias uh, all across the board. It's at hello Camille H. Um, so that's TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Those are those are the ones that I'm on. Um, and then if you want to support my work, I have a Substack where I share my writings. Um, I usually share poetry. So that one is my first and last name, Camille Hernandez.substack.com. Um, and there's options for free subscribers. And then anyone who would like to support me financially, you can do that through my Substack as well. Yay. So I'll make sure I have that in the show notes so people can do that. Um, Camille, I, oh, this has blessed my soul. Um, Bless mine too. Thank you for letting me rant. Like, I'm so happy that I got to talk to you and for us to talk liberation. Of course, liberation is such a deep, deep conversation, but I think we hit some really good points. So I'm really excited that you were on this season um and you are my final guest for season two so i ended the show oh my god (laughs) i'm glad you told me that now (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> so you are my final guest for season two, and this is ending it, ending it on the back. So this is so great. <laughs> like we had a really great conversation, and I can't wait for your book. Um, definitely want to support it um, when it comes out. And of course, you know I'm going to be helping promote it and doing everything I need to do to make sure that we make this thing go viral. We make it get on the New York Times, whatever it, girl. I all am, the things. Yes, my friends. New York Times bestselling list. Try yes. <laughs> coming for all the things. Okay? I know all the things. But yes, yeah, thank you again, and I love you and appreciate you and the work that you're doing. So. Thank you.